We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. WGR Sports Radio 550 presents Sports Talk Saturday. I don't grow great facial hair, okay? What's the one thing I'm really, really good at? The elite complainer right here. Oh, well, that's bad coffee. I love Elf. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. I'm Nate Geary. Uh, big thanks to Joe Yerdon and Sal Capaccio for our last segment. If you missed any of either of those two interviews, you can go to WGR550.com and on-demand audio and uh, and listen there. Do we uh, we have Mike ready? No, we okay. We get, we're waiting on Mike Giardi here uh, of NFL Network. We'll have him on here in just a moment. Uh, recapping our one, of course, we started talking Sabres, and then we got into Bills and Patriots last hour with Sal Capaccio talking a little bit about the weather uh, that is uh, on the docket for this game. It's looking worse and worse uh, as we sort of get closer. Now, obviously, uh, we're, we're talking in pregame for uh, – uh, for tailgating purposes, if you are planning on going out and tailgating, could be up to 50 or 60 mile per hour winds for your tailgate. I would say leave the canopy at home uh, if you are uh, if you're looking to uh, to go out to tailgate, or if you have like a an ice fishing tent, like maybe that's your move. I don't know what the move is if you're tailgating this game on on Monday night though, because the weather is looking. Terrible, but let's go to the Western Hotline because NFL Network's Mike Giardi joins me now uh, to talk about this Monday Night Football game. And Mike, um, I, I'm assuming you get the indoor seat for this game because uh, I, do, do do you take like uh, like what, what do you take some sort of indoor shuttle from your vehicle from the media lot over to the stadium because I think that's the only way you'll be able to get there. Well, what's funny is that uh, Kim Kim Jones and I kind of split the Buffalo duties, and Kim got the Buffalo duties for this one. So while I've been covering it from the from the Patriots side and 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 listening in on the Bills this week, Kim is actually the one that's got to be there for game day. So I'll be I'll be uh, wow, you really lucked couch. out. Yeah, I, I'm, you lucked I'm out. Not, uh, I mean, I'm gonna miss the environment. I love sure. the environment, but you know, the the, the whole cold thing. It's not, it's not my favorite thing. Yeah, and listen, you'll have another shot. These two teams play in a couple of weeks here uh, yep. in Foxborough, and hopefully the uh, the weather there won't be as uh, as predicted uh, to be as bad as it is here uh, and for that matchup. Because, listen, I think at the end of the day, these are two offenses I think we all would like to see in prime time sort of at full capacity. There's no doubt that if we're talking 40-mile-per-hour 40, 40 wind gusts in this game, that's going to affect both passers. But it's, frankly, going to affect Mac Jones, who doesn't have the same level of arm strength that Josh Allen has. Um, in this game. So let's say, you know, Mike, that this game does live up to the bill. It's got that 40 mile per hour wind gust, pretty standard throughout the game, 20 to 25 mile per hour. How do you expect that to affect Mac Jones and the Patriots offense? And how do they pivot? Because if they're forced to maybe throw less, they become more one predictable. I think everyone's looking at the Patriots as this weather maybe maybe leans towards their strength a little bit. But if they become fully one dimensional, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a good thing for them. No, I mean, I think they would love to be balanced, and you're right. I think, you know, Max Arm is, 
is good enough, but it's not, you know, we're not putting it in the Josh Allen tier. So that certainly would create some problems if it's that bad. I mean, I kind of go back to last year when they played in Buffalo, that game was really windy. Uh, not that Cam Newton is a big time thrower either, uh, but they really struggled, you know, throwing the ball and actually really heavily leaned on the run as did Buffalo. Now the question to me, I flip back to you is can Buffalo, even though Josh has the arm, mm. can Buffalo sort of flex their muscle and run the ball because that's been obviously a, a major issue for them this year. You know, Mike, I think it's a great question. I, and I think the Bills are probably in a place where they've more than likely this season have never been healthier on the offensive line. They're finally getting John Feliciano back. Hopefully that's for the long term and he doesn't find himself out of the lineup again. Spencer Brown is back for being off the COVID list, which is sort of like a like a two-part addition because you get to bump Darrell Williams down to Roy Guard, who's been an upgrade over Cody Ford. So then you really are getting three new pieces along this Bills offensive line that they've sorely been missing in the run game, particularly Spencer Brown, Mike, who is brings a level of physicality and nastiness this offensive line really doesn't have. And I also want to say that I, I do think the addition of Matt Breida as sort of an everyday back instead of being the inactive back has really changed this running attack. I'm not here to tell you that they're elite by any any standards, but you would probably, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised to know, but I think a lot of Patriots fans would be surprised to know, Mike, that the Bills are actually top 10 in rushing. Now, a lot of that's yeah. Josh Allen related, but the idea that they're just one of the worst rushing teams in the league isn't really backed up by volume stats. Now, if you want to look at like yards per play running and some of the more advanced analytics behind it, I would agree they're not a great running team, but they do get yards, and that may matter in this matchup. Well, you know, what's interesting, too, is I think that Kyle Duggar, who's probably not going to be playing in this game for the Patriots, is their safety, who um, the Patriots have trusted to cover someone like Kyle Pitts in one-on-one -on -one situations, but they also use him down in the box. To me, he's the key guy because I think he'd be one of those guys that on various snaps, the Patriots would look and say, you're going to spy Josh Allen. You have the speed and the physicality to deal with Josh's speed and physicality and size, and if he's not in there, that certainly is a trickle-down effect for the Patriots, maybe forces Adrian Phillips to be that guy. Uh, and again, I think the Patriots would prefer to have played with the three safeties, McCourty, Phillips, and Duggar. And now if Duggar's not there, which it looks like he won't be because of the COVID issue, then I don't even know how they do, how they approach that. You know, uh, Jamie Collins maybe gets some snaps. Uh, he's coming back from a from a from an ankle injury. And even when he was out there, he wasn't getting a ton of snaps. So, It'll be interesting to see how the Patriots manage that. I think the other thing to me, and you bring up, you know, sort of the stats and the, the, the where the Bills rate in terms of rushing is, you know, they've been the label has been thrown out there in the last month in particular that maybe Buffalo is a soft team. And I'll mm -hmm. agree with you that getting getting Feliciano back and getting Brown back, that adds some nasty to that to that group that maybe was lacking. But I'm not quick I'm not I'm not ready to just put that label on them and say they can't turn into something stronger and tougher. And I'll just go back to a couple of years ago, the last Patriots Super Bowl, Patriots were flailing in December. Didn't look like that was going to be a championship team. Didn't even look like it was going to be a look like a one-and-done playoff team is what it did. They came back after a bye week. Uh, they played back-to-back -back games against the Jets and maybe the Dolphins. I can't remember right off the top of my head. But whoever it was, they all of a sudden, they found the run game. Yep. They said, you know, we're going to shove this ball down your throat. We're going to do this. And for two weeks, they did that. And that became their identity as they marched through the postseason. So it's not like it's 
it's impossible. I think there's there's prideful guys on that in that mm-hmm. Buffalo offense on that Buffalo offensive line, and I think they know. You know, like in January, we're going to have to be able to get yards when everybody knows we're trying to get yards on the ground, and I think they have the personnel to do it. It's just you know. Can you do it consistently? You know, Mike, uh, this has sort of been billed as like a, a big game for Josh Allen, right? I think in particular by the national media because he gets paid, and with getting paid comes a level of pressure that, you know, he, as a rookie and and as a second- and third-year player who was sort of um, who's ascending into, into top 10, top 5 territory as a quarterback, and those are great things. He gets paid, and there's now an expectation and a standard. And it's not to me that Josh has not lived up to that standard. But I think there's expectation. And by the way, I think Josh is probably playing very similar statistically-wise, almost exactly the same, like, through 12 games as he was last year, or 13 games. Like, almost exact this exactly the same volume six passing numbers touchdown interception ratio almost all of it's the same but I think there's a standard that has now been set for Josh Allen, which is fair but I would maybe push back on that this is a game where it comes down to this is on Josh Allen I actually believe the pressure lies far more with Sean McDermott Mike than it does with with Josh Allen because this is a Bills coach team that this year hasn't necessarily been as efficient as they were in their AFC Championship run last year, right? The defense has been been playing much better, there's no doubt, but that leak against the Colts was just really bad, and you're, I know a lot of the complaints of Bills fans is the aggressiveness on fourth down has not been there, and kicking field goals in positions that last year this offense was going for it. So where do you stand on maybe, I would say that the pressure lies in Buffalo here, and and maybe that's wrong to look at, but that's really what the national media uh, has take has been on this, even though they're technically in second place and you would think the first place team has the pressure. But I, I certainly think the narrative from this football game can go in a lot of different directions based on the result. But I think, Mike, there's a lot of pressure on Sean McDermott in this game. Yeah, I think this the, the there's more pressure on the Bills to get this one right than the Patriots. Um, and look, the Patriots lose this game, and all of a sudden this this talk around nationally about maybe them being the best team in the AFC and a number one seed in the bye, all of a sudden they drop from like one to five. Like it, it, it can happen that quick. So I'm not saying it's not important for them. It clearly is. But for the expectations that Buffalo had on this season, for the way the season started, um, and now to be in this little bit of a of a rut, I do think that Buffalo needs to show here that, hey, you know, what you guys thought, what we thought in the building – uh, was right and was accurate, and we're capable of doing this. And let's go take this hot team, the Patriots. They got to come to our place. It's supposed to be a hard place to play. It is a hard place to play. And let's show them who's boss. I think there is definitely something to that. And whether you want to put that on Josh, whether you want to put that on Sean, I think it's the whole group. Mm-hmm. I think the whole group kind of understands the situation you're in. You lose this game, you kiss the you know the division goodbye. Now you're you're playing for wild card. You're probably going to be on the road. There's that whole thing. Like I. I think it's really important for them to, to take care of business and, again, sort of reestablish, them, reestablish themselves as, you know, one of the elite teams in the AFC and maybe even in the league because I think clearly in the first five, six weeks of the season we're like, this is what they've been building for. This is the Buffalo Bills. This is going to be the best team in the AFC. They're going to get a shot at Kansas City. You know, this time maybe they're just going to be at home. They're going to have this whole thing. And then, you know, as we've talked about, there's, there's been a dip here and they got to figure out a way to get out of it. NFL Network's Mike Giardi here on the Wester Hotline. We're talking Bills and Patriots Monday Night Football here. And, of course, you can listen live on WGR 550 in the Buffalo Bills Radio Network. Mike, I, I, I'm glad you brought up the tight ends uh, for uh, for the Patriots, particularly Hunter Henry, who has, I believe, a, 
has really earned and has looked like the number one tight end that they went out and signed in the offseason. Now, Johnu Smith has not quite lived up to the same bill, getting the top two, right? Hunter Henry and he get the top two uh, yearly uh, salaries amongst tight ends in the league in this offseason. However, I-, I know that there's been a lot of, especially in like Boston radio, a lot of negativity around Johnu Smith and their inability to get him going in this offense. I want to say that was until last week where it looked like Josh McDaniel really found new creative ways to get him the football, which is what Tennessee had to do, by the way, to get him involved in the offense. I guess you could look at this two ways, Mike, is that A, last week it felt like the Patriots found a way that they can really unleash Jonu Smith, and maybe it's no better timing than before this Bills game where you may need to get creative if the downfield passing game is not available due to conditions. Like, Jonu becomes, I think, a really interesting weapon in that sense. Or you could look at it the other side of this, Mike, which is they paid how much and you have to figure out how to get him the football and it can't be in traditional ways like what are we talking about here so like where do you stand on the Janu Smith enigma um and and do you believe that in a game like Monday Night Football maybe this is the sort of stage for him to shine and really show why they went out and got him I think what we've seen from Janu here in his time in New England is that maybe his football instincts aren't what you would like them to be. He's a, obviously he's a physical freak. Uh, he's, he's incredibly determined hard worker. I mean, there's no, there's been no um, questioning of that, of his, of his work ethic and the time he's put in the film room. Um, but he had that game against new Orleans week three, where he had, I don't know what the recorded number of drops was, but there were three drops, including one that bounced off his hands, went into Malcolm Jenkins hands for a pick six. It basically, um, took the Patriots game plan. You had to throw it out the window. And then, you know, in week three, you're asking Mac to throw the ball on every down. And that did not go as well as, well, it went about as well as you would expect it to go for a rookie quarterback in week three, right? Um, still trying to learn his offense. He, he then got hurt with the shoulder because they were, they were trying to get him going against the Jets. He had a nice start to that game, hurt his shoulder. That cost him a game. It limited him in a couple others. I thought last week was the first time it looked like they were unleashing a healthy John U. Smith. So I, there are things that he can do that very few people at that position can do from an athletic standpoint. We saw some of that in the summer. We've seen a couple little sprinklings over the course of the year, but certainly they need more consistency. I think the idea this entire offseason, whether it was going to be Cam Newton or Mac Jones, was they're going to run the offense through the tight ends while they're getting production from Hunter Henry. John, who has been lagging a little bit, if they can get John up to speed and have those two guys in the middle of the field easier throws for, for Mac, um, then that would be huge. I think the other thing you point out is, yeah, they, they, they have, and they, they showed it in the spring, they showed it at various points during the season, they'll hand the ball off to John. They'll actually yep. give him, they'll line him up in the backfield, they'll, they'll hit him with a jet sweep, um, and I think that'll be something that you'll see quite a bit again, if, especially if we're talking about 40-mile-an-hour wins. They're going to have to figure out ways to get creative and get the ball into their playmaker's hands, and they certainly feel like when they get it in his hands that he can make plays. It's just, again, been about getting it there in the first place. Mike, I um, I also want to uh, – you, you, you tweeted out yesterday about Dane Jackson and Tredavious White, and obviously this is sort of a storyline that I think a lot of Bills fans look at. As a guy that does postgame here at the station and does pregame as well, like – I I think generally speaking, after that game on Thursday, there was a sense of okay, th- well, let's let's assume the worst with Trey, and it ended up being the worst case scenario. He tore his ACL is out for the season. 
But I think there's a level of almost denial about how important Tredavious White is to this defense. And, and, and there's this sense that, like, well, the safeties are great, too, and they're all pro, and they'll be able to cover up whoever is playing the other corner position. And there's a lot of, I think, almost denial is, I think, maybe a harsh word, but I think it's the reality, is I think that there's a level of denial here on just how important Tredavious White is. I believe Trey White gives those safeties the freedom to be who they are. Without him, I do believe there's going to be a sense of them being more conservative on the back end and not doing some of the pre-snap you know, moving and, and shifting that those two like to do because they have the ability and the freedom to know that they've got one of the best cover corners in the league, sort of covering up in any maybe mis mishaps or mistakes that they might be doing being over aggressive like where do you stand and Dane Jackson is a nice player and and they've really brought him along as a sixth round pick from from last year out of Pitt um he he worked out in the offseason with with Aaron Donald and Donald had such great things to say about the young player but like let's not let's not mince we're here he's no Tredavious White and I think this Bills team we're about to find out on Monday just how much they miss Trey White I think that they'll miss him way more than Bills fans are maybe willing to lead on well, I'll just lean on what Leslie Frazier told us midweek. You know, he's, he said he's a big part of what we do on defense, allows us to do so many things because of his talent, a matchup guy, hard to find those guys in the league, and it allowed us to eliminate an opposing receiver if we wanted to. And I, there aren't many guys like that in the league. I mean, the, the Patriots have J.C. Jackson, right, who's going to make a ton of money in the offseason, and everybody talks about him as a number one corner, but J.C. hasn't always traveled with guys and hasn't always had great success last year. Stefan Diggs, Diggs owned him in, in Foxborough. Like, so we know that Tredavious could do this and has been able to do it for the last couple of years uh, at the very least. And that is, I think, a massive, massive loss. I think you're right about being able to be more aggressive as the safeties, being able to be more aggressive defensively, because you know if you want to take a guy out, we put Tredavious and we're going to trust that he's going to get it done. And by and large, that's exactly what he did. Now, again, go back to the weather. Maybe this isn't a game where you feel the absence of Tredavious as much as you will going forward because, again, it might be hard to throw the ball. And I'm not sure that the Patriots necessarily have a number one guy that you would say go get. Like To me, I would look at it and say Tredavious would be someone you'd put on Jacoby Myers on mm -hmm. third down, sure. you know, bump him down in the slot. Or, hey, it's red zone, Hunter Henry. That's where, that's where Mack likes to go. So instead of doubling him, let's just put Tredavious on him and do it that way. Um, but again, we'll have to see with the weather. But certainly, there's you, you don't replace those guys. You just don't. They don't grow on trees. There's probably five or six guys in the league that play at that level consistently week after week at corner, and he's been one of them. So, you know, uh, Dane Jackson has massive shoes to fill. All right, last one for you, Mike. I uh, I had a great conversation with Evan Lazar. He does the Patriots Beat podcast yesterday, and, and and talking about the shift that he's seen from Bill Belichick playing far more, maybe the most zone he's ever played in his play and his career as a defensive coordinator, and obviously the head coach of the Patriots. We know he's got a a large hand in what what happens on the defensive side of the ball. What have you noticed about that change? Like, obviously, this is a defense that's really ascending into one of the top units in the league. A lot of that, Mike, has to do with uh, with, with Matthew Judon. But also a lot of that, I think, is this defense was getting burned. And, and, and I kind of go back to that Houston game with Davis Mills having one of his best games against that defense. And I think that was the point that Evan kind of said. Like, that was the point of no return for Bill when he decided, like, this defense can't be the man defense I want them to be. We need to shift his zone. How has that shift been, in your eyes, received by the 
by the players and and maybe more frankly like how well they've been able to execute is that a surprise how good they've been and because of the principles of Bill Belichick's defense always being so heavy in demand I think if you look at a couple of those players in particular Jalen Mills has been the opposite corner um with JC Jackson and I think maybe you know I felt like he was out of position he got picked on a lot early in the year I don't think he's a man cover guy I think he's He's, he's someone who, who does better when he can see things in front of him and doesn't have to match step for step. I think Duggar, as a young player, same thing, like sort of see ball, hit ball, you know, see man, hit man. Like if you have him in front of you and you don't have to worry about trying to match that guy step for step, I think it's allowed these guys to play a little bit freer and a little bit smarter. According to patrolling center field, I mean, he, he's always been good at that, but again, sort of allows him to keep his eyes on the football um, and I think that's just made all the difference in the world for them. It's just sort of been uh, the elevation of play from some of those guys, Mills and Duggar in particular, I think has been massive since the switch from, from man to, you know, to predominantly zone. And I think that's, you know, again, it goes to show you how Belichick, you know, he's not, he's not set in his ways. They'll, they'll morph if they have to. And, uh, you know, clearly with, with only having one true, guy that could man up and then they lost john jones their slot corner also very good a man like miles bryant's an undrafted kid that they're playing he's playing pretty well but i think the zone allows him to hide him a little bit you know he doesn't have to get exposed like that uh like he wouldn't man so um it, it made a lot of sense i think and and yeah they've embraced it for sure it's it's, it's really helped push you know like the, the marriage between the pass rush and the coverage uh in the last six weeks has been about as good as you can have it Mike, thanks as always uh, for joining me on a Saturday afternoon. I really appreciate you making time for us and being so uh, so generous with your time. Enjoy the game this weekend from your couch. Stay warm, which I'm sure won't be a problem for you. And no, uh, let's do this nice. again soon, man. All right, absolutely. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Mike Giardi there of NFL Network joining us on the West Her Hotline. We're going to get an update from Zach here coming up in just a moment, and then we'll hear from a man, Mark Schofield, the Scho Show, uh, next on WGR. We'll, uh, we'll dive a little bit deeper into the Mac Jones conversation. What is he doing so well that the national media, the Ryan Clarks and the Dan Orlovskis, why do they keep talking about Mac as this next, the heir apparent to Tom Brady? We'll talk more about what is going right, and maybe Mark will even bring you a Away from the Brady comparisons. I think he will because I think he's got a little bit more nuance and a little bit more reality set in than some of the national outlets. So Mark will join us next here on WGR. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there. 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. The Buffalo Sabres are back on the ice tonight following a 7-4 loss on Thursday against Florida. They'll take on Carolina with puck drop set for 7.30. Pre-game with Brian Colesiel starts at 6.30 right here on WGR Sports Radio 550. The Buffalo Bills are off this Sunday as they take on the New England Patriots for Monday Night Football. Today, head coach McDermott has yet to rule out anyone for this matchup, and that includes John Feliciano and Spencer Brown. Countdown to kickoff with Show and the Bulldogs starts at 5 p.m., and pre-game will take you all the way to kickoff at 8.20 p.m. Nate Gear will handle your postgame from 12 a.m. to 2 a.m. And John Murphy, Eric Wood, and Sal Capaccio will be on the call for the game here on WGR Sports Radio 550. It's championship week in college football, and it all started last night with number 17 Utah beating number 10 Oregon 38-10 in the Pac-12 championship. Today, the Big 12 championship against number 5 Oklahoma State and number 9 Baylor is already underway with State taking an early 3-0 lead after a Baylor fumble. At 4, the SEC championship kicks off with number 1 Georgia and number 3 Alabama. Number 4 Cincinnati and number 21 Houston are in the American Championship also at 4 o'clock. And finally, number 2 Michigan and number 13 Iowa for the Big Ten Championship at 8. In Big 4 basketball, Niagara Falls to Monmouth 57-49 and Canisius dropped to Fairfield 74-68. Today, UB travels to the Riley Center to take on St. Bonaventure at 4 p.m. You can listen to all that on our sister station, The Bet 1520. That's your Paddock Chevrolet Sports Update. Visit paddockchevrolet.com for the best pre-owned inventory. I'm Zach Jones for WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, gang, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary here at the halfway mark of Sports Talk Saturday. And uh, no one better in the business to have joining me to talk Bills and Patriots than my man, Mark Schofield, who, uh, Mark, so this morning um, I, I needed to send your phone number to my producer. Um, and I was looking through my DMs to try to find your phone number, and I was scrolling and scrolling back to, like, 2016, for God's sakes. Because you and I have been doing this, this dance now for quite some time. Did you know that? I did know that, Nate, and it's great to be back with you again. It's always fun when we get to chat on a Saturday. It's, it's more enjoyable when we get to chat on a Saturday when there's a huge game between yes. the Bills and Patriots coming up. But i got to say, my man, I'm surprised you're working today. I kind of figured you'd be at home and just consuming the Coach Freeman videos over and over and over again because i got to tell you, I've kind of been doing that, and I'm not even a Notre Dame guy. That is probably the thing that has given me the most – comfort in this whole situation mark is seeing the response from people that i i like genuinely know loathe notre dame like i one of my friends who's a michigan fan yesterday we were out having a couple drinks and she said to me like 
I'm like sort of rooting for Notre Dame. Like I like Marcus Freeman a lot. I think he's just a good guy. Watching those videos really, I think, was a connector. I think Marcus Freeman, for Notre Dame to make the decision that they did um, as quickly as they did, in the window they did, I was just saying this to, to my producer, Zach, like I think says a lot about the power of college football players and recruits. There may not be a better example of the power that recruits and players can have uh, short of this year in the name image likeness whole lawsuit and getting that implemented and having kids allowing to make money off of their name and, and, and likeness. But like this, watching the response from players in recruits saying like, we want Freeman and them making the move as quickly as they did without even running a national search for Notre Dame, um, I think says a lot about where college football is. And I know we're watching Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley and like all these great coaches just kind of leave in the dead of night. I will say that it, it felt like this was a win for players and for recruits, which you don't get a lot now in college football. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's a window into where the college game is trending, the ability to connect with young athletes, regardless of sport, certainly in football, but regardless of sport, and to have the young athletes that you're coaching, the men and women sort of respond to you, react to you, buy in, and to believe in what you're doing. And I will say, look, the, the moment where he was introduced to the team and the team just erupted, like you, you know, like you were saying about your Michigan friend, I'm not a Notre Dame guy, but like them, I'm kind of rooting for Notre Dame now. It was tremendous to see. It'll be interesting to see too, Mark, like what happens over the next, you know, 48 hours or so as we're going to find out like, you know, what this college football playoff looks like after a couple of this this Oklahoma State game, um, obviously later on today the the Cincinnati and Houston game and Michigan Iowa. There's a lot of things that could go right for the Bills or for the for the for the Irish, and hopefully that does happen. I'd like to see Marcus Freeman sneak his way into the college football playoff and see what this team can do um, with sort of a new like a renewed sense of leadership and Kyle Hamilton said he would make himself available for a, for a, uh, you know, a playoff game. So I, I would like to see him in the Irish, uh, you know, gold one more time as well before he ends up being a top five pick or whatever he's going to be in this upcoming draft. But uh, Mark, I appreciate you so much for, for almost turn this interview around and you interviewing me a little bit about Notre Dame. It's just, it's just the consummate professional you are. Hey, I, this is a professional account, Nate. I'm here at your service anytime you need me. Yeah, maybe I'll just let you host the show. Well, you just ask me questions about Notre Dame. I, I think we could we could turn that into a three-hour affair, no problem. We absolutely could, and I'm happy to do that at a moment you notice, man. Yeah, that's that's why I love you, brother. Um, well, listen, let's talk more about this Monday Night Football matchup. I just had Mike Giardi on of NFL Network and, and talked a lot about um, this matchup and, and some of the some of the key matchups from this game. And, and obviously, you and I spoke on your podcast earlier this week about Mac Jones. I sort of told you my thoughts on Mac Jones, which you know basically stemmed from me thinking he is the best rookie quarterback in this class. He's probably one of the one of the best like out of the package like just wrap it out uh, unwrap it and put it out there and, and let it do its thing um quarterback in a long time um like I, I I hate all the comparisons and the names that get thrown out I think comparing players to historically great players is such a disservice and just such a lazy thing to do but I know a lot of people are talking about the Brady feeling in this whole thing. I would maybe push back on that, Mark, and say he feels way more like an Andrew Luck to me. Someone that walked in day one with a doctorate degree and just knew the NFL game from a processing uh, perspective and all of the potential shortcomings mechanics-wise or arm strength-wise, they're all covered up because of his ability to process and be that cerebral player. Is that where, really, where you are with Mac Jones? Is the, is the impressive part about his game 
maybe less about the physical traits and more about the stuff in between the years? I think that's absolutely absolutely right, Nate. And I'm with you in terms of the comparisons. I mean, he's played, you know, this is his 13th NFL start. Let's all sort of calm down here. And he's played very well for a rookie. But, you know, talking to people in and around the league, they've told me this, this, this was the Mac Jones argument prior to the draft, that he was going to come in, like you described, you unwrap him and he's kind of ready to go. He's got the ability from a mental standpoint to handle what NFL defenses are going to throw at him, to handle an NFL offense. But let's see what year two, year three look like. Now, Jones, with how well he has played so far and how well he has acclimated to the NFL game, perhaps his ceiling looks a little bit different. If you thought pre-draft his ceiling was that of a Garoppolo, of, of a Kirk Cousins, maybe he's bumped that up a bit because of how quickly he's adjusted. So we'll be interested to see, does he surpass what people had at high expectations, who had high expectations for him pre-draft? Does he even surpass those expectations? So that's something to watch year two, year three. But as far as his mental side, I think you're exactly right. You know, he doesn't have an elite NFL arm. He's not an elite athlete at the position. But his ability to, like you said, process stuff pre-snap and post-snap, to make the right decision with the football and a given play based on the coverage, based on the situation, based on the leverage in the secondary, and then to put the football where it needs to be, with all of that going on, that's been very impressive to see from a rookie quarterback. Now, Let's be honest. Monday night's going to be a different beast. Even without Tredavious White, one of the game's best corners, this is a very talented Buffalo defense, probably the best safety tandem in the game. Buffalo was going to do some things up front. They're going to do some things in the secondary that he might not have seen before since coming into the NFL. So that's an issue he's going to have to be ready for. Now, perhaps he's ready for that. Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, we talked about it this week. You know, they're going to do some things up front. They're going to do some stuff on the edges He's been susceptible to pressure, to blitzes off the edges. If he sees it coming, if he sees it up front, yeah, he can handle it. But it's the stuff on the edges that he's shown a sort of weakness on. I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of that stuff. And look, there's the elephant in the room, the weather situation. I literally, Nate, was just looking at models, and it looks like it could be a little nasty Monday night. Mac Jones from the arm strength perspective. Is his arm going to be good enough in the elements or not? That's he hasn't played a ton of games in wind, rain, or snow. I mean, playing down out of Alabama, you know, had a lot of games in, in nice climate situations. This is going to be different. And so that will certainly be a factor on Monday night, I think. Yeah, uh, my buddy Ryan Talbot over at New York Upstate, uh, Syracuse.com, did a, did a piece this week and, and went back and looked at historical games in college for Mac Jones. And the coldest game in Tuscaloosa that he played in was 48 degrees. This is going to be a different animal on Monday night in Buffalo. Now, the bitterness of cold may not play the factor, um, although if the winds end up being 40-mile-per-hour wind gusts at, during the game, that wind chill is going to be probably 30 or below that. And that will be certainly um, a, a different difficult task for a player who's not used to those sorts of conditions and doesn't necessarily doesn't have the Josh Allen arm that like you might say okay in these in these sort of conditions you know Josh can sort of spin it through some of those conditions now Josh isn't going to be able to throw up 40 50 yard balls um into this Bills stadium because here's the other thing about this game Mark is it's maybe less about the actual raw wins and wind speed in this game because of the way that the stadium Highmark Stadium is built it ends up being far more swirling. You could have a 15 or 20 mile per hour wind, and it actually be about 30 to 35 miles per hour in the stadium because of the sort of wind tunnel that's created there. So that's to me, the kicking is going to be special teams in this game. Mark might be more important than any primetime football game we've seen in a long time. I think that's absolutely right. And when it comes to the quarterback position, you and I both know this. Rain and wind. Well, 
I mean, rain and snow, you could probably deal with it better than I could. My hands are absolutely tiny. This is why quarterback hand size Twitter gets all spun up during the draft because this is one of those moments right. where it might matter. But it's really that wind, right? The uncertainty of it when you're trying to throw that 15-yard out and you think you know where you need to put it and then you get that 20-mile-an-hour gust or a 30-mile-an-hour gust that gets kicked up because of that way that stadium is set up, then you're missing throws that you should probably were able to hit it's just because of the uncertainty of it. So I think that will play a factor in the passing game. And I think you're absolutely right. This could be a game where you get a special teams play, a mishandled punt, a mishandled kickoff, you know, a missed field goal or something like that. And in a game between two evenly matched teams, sometimes it's a play like that in that third phase of the game that ends up being a decided factor. And you look at, you know, the kickers in this game, you look at the punters in this game, obviously Bath and Folk, two very good kickers. Bailey has a huge leg for the Patriots. Matthew Slater, you know, their longtime special teams ace, veteran player. So you wonder about, is this a game that might end up decided in that third phase of the game? Mark Schofield here on the Western Hotline. We're talking Bills and Patriots in Mark, I want to ask you a little bit more about this offense for, uh, of the Patriots and, and sort of how they've been winning and, and been so consistent. Like th- this is a this is an offense that's scoring thirty points a game right now over their five game winning streak against some pretty good defenses. Not great defense, but good defenses. I, I'm wondering how the running attack. Well, we'll talk a little bit about the pass catchers in a minute, but the running attack in this game, I find. How diverse the Patriots can be when they've got their full complement of weapons, Ramondre Stevenson and, and Damian Harris being healthy is a big part of that. But it's not limited to those two being healthy. Like, like they can sort of run – they're not maybe the Patriots of, of old where they've got five guys and they've got a white uh, – they, they've got a, a Rex Burkhead that does one thing and a James White thing – a James White guy that does another thing. They don't have those specialized players maybe, but I do think that they have a really diverse skill set in the running back position. And how important could that potentially become in a game like today – or on, on Monday night? I mean, I think it might be essential for them. I mean, we talked about it this week. I don't think there's any surprise in what I'm about to say. New England's going to want to run the football Monday night. You know, whether it was what they saw from the Colts a couple of weeks ago, whether it's because of the weather, whether it's because of Mac Jones in this condition, in these conditions, or whether it's, this is where they want to be as a team. They, they want to run the football. They want to, you know, establish the run as much as you kind of see NFL teams doing these days. It's still a passing league. But they are a very diverse run game schematically. You'll see a lot of different concepts. You'll see outside zone. You'll see inside tight zone. You'll see a lot of gap power. You'll see some trapping and pulling and wham blocking. And they also look, let's not forget, they're one of the teams that uses a fullback a lot in the run game. Yaakov Johnson, the international player who's their fullback, they trust them on a lot of those short traps, short wham blocks. They do some GF counter stuff with him where they'll pull a guard and they'll have him trap block from the other side as well. You know, he's a focal part of their run attack when they run out of that 21 personnel package that they like to use so much. And as far as the backs themselves, the behind Johnson, you know, Harrison Stevenson, they're the two lead guys. They use Brandon Bolden as sort of their James White light. They'll bring him in on some third down situations. They like to, you know, involve him in the screen game. They also trust him big time as a pass protector in front of Matt Jones. And, you know, if the Buffalo Bills do some of those things you see on third and long situations where they'll walk, Milano and Edmonds down into those A-gaps, mug those A-gaps, and then pop them out and bring pressure off the edges. Jones has been very comfortable taking bold and shifting him up into the A-gap into that sort of sniffer role to protect the interior and then trust on the edges that guys like Trent Brown, Isaiah Wynn can handle the stuff on the edges. And so, you know, it's a diverse run game schematically. It's a diverse skill set in the backfield with these guys that can do a bunch of different things. And plus, you know, the offensive line gelling together with the return of Trent Brown 
that's really helped them during the stretch of victories where they could lean on the run game and set up that play-action passing game. Mark, last thing I have for you is I want to ask you, I had the same question for, uh, for Mike last segment. I'm interested in your take on this. But Jonu Smith, I don't know what to make of his performance last week because I look at it and I say, okay, well, it sounds, it feels like the Patriots finally found a way to sort of uncork, unleash, um, you know, uh, uh, Janu in this in this offense. But the other part of me says, man, they're having to create, they have to get that creative to get him involved and have success in an offense that utilizes the tight end maybe better than anyone, particularly two tight end sets, a twelve personnel. Maybe they. I mean, I, I think regardless of how they are able to uh, utilize him and, and how well and how efficient he can be, I still think that everyone probably agrees they overpaid for Jonu Smith. But there was certainly there was competition out there for his services. But it feels like the same thing in in New England's happening that happened in Tennessee, Mark, which was they couldn't find ways to use him as a traditional tight end. So what they were forced to sort of do was create ways to get him the ball in really interesting and non-conventional ways. So either your thinking is, boy, I'm a little concerned now because they figured out how to use Johnny Smith or man, they paid that much for a guy that for a tight end who has to run jet sweeps. Like where do you stand on, on sort of his evolving uh, piece in this offense? Yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, this was a tight end room the past couple of seasons since, you know, the early retirement of Rob Gronkowski, of course, he's back in Tampa Bay now. The tight end room has been a problem for them. Last year, they went into the season. Ryan Izzo, Devin Oxiesi, and Dalton Keene, you know, two rookies in a seventh-round pick. They really needed to shore up that tight, tight end position. And, yeah, perhaps they overpaid uh, for both Hunter Henry and John O'Smith sort of on the open market. But they're figuring out ways to get those guys involved. I think what's interesting is Smith had been sort of dinged up a little bit in the early part of the season. And Mac Jones started to lean on Hunter Henry in the passing game. You could see a relationship, a chemistry develop between those two. And when they signed Smith, and frankly, Nate, even before they signed Smith, Bill Belichick, rarely effusive with praise. And so when he does go above and beyond with praise, you take notice. Even when he was with the Titans, Bill Belichick raved about John O'Smith's ability as a blocker. You know, he said he was you know, one of the better blocking tight ends in the league. And so they kind of leaned on Smith as that blocking type tight end, that more traditional type tight end, with Henry as more of the move type guy. And so, you know, you put that together and there's a, a more of a reliance on Henry in the passing game. But at the same time, look, when you run that 12 personnel package, you do it for a reason. It's to create mismatches with your tight ends on linebackers, on strong safety types. So you have to figure out ways out of that personnel package to get Smith involved. And they're starting to do that. It's something that I assume that they're going to try to lean on a little bit more going forward. I wouldn't be surprised to see some plays where they call them to design to get Smith the ball, whether it's in space or over the middle or in the flat. So, yeah, they're figuring it out. You know, did they overpay? Perhaps. But that position was such a disaster for them the past couple of years. They needed to address it in a big way, and they obviously did, given the money they spent in free agency. Mark, I actually have one more thing for you here. Kyle Duggar. Uh, no Kyle Duggar in this game. What does that do to what Bill Belichick wants to do? And let, let's just throw out maybe – actually, let's keep the weather in mind here because I do think he's a probably one of their better run defenders um, in their secondary. But, like, what does his absence potentially mean to how Bill Belichick tries to maybe uh, defend Josh Allen in this Bill's offense? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a problem. They, they've relied on him to be a multifaceted safety. When he was drafted, you know, there was a lot of – 
concerned about, okay, how is it exactly he's, are they going to use him? How are they going to incorporate him into their defense? They've done a lot of different things with him. They have him more as your, you know, high safety, mostly half-field stuff, but they'll play him in single high coverages as that close safety from time to time. They have no problem bringing them down into that second level. A lot of them sort of the linebacker's depth based on formation, you know, whichever front they're in or whichever, you know, offensive front they're seeing, they'll bring them down as sort of a stack linebacker at times. Sometimes if they'll put their true linebackers on the edges, he might be aligned as a middle linebacker. And so they use him in a bunch of different ways. If he truly can't go, and, you know, reports are that he might be limited. Interestingly enough, Donta Hightower was also not at practice today, so that will be something to monitor. Obviously, he's a big part of what they do up front. But if you're about Duggar, you expect maybe Adrian Phillips to play more of that role. They've used him more as their box safety type, almost exclusively down to the box with Duggar floating around a little bit more. Then maybe you see Adrian slide into that Duggar type role, maybe a Miles Bryant, maybe a Juwan Williams perhaps gets incorporated because they've, they've used both of those players in safety alignments or slot corners at times. And so they might have to move some parts around, but it will be a big loss if he can't go. He's made such a huge stride from his rookie year. Remember, this is a Division II player. You know, last year you were supposed to sort of learn from Patrick Shun. Shun opted out. Duggar got a lot of run, and he's made strides, big strides, offense, I mean, defensively, both against the run and the pass. He'll be a big absence for New England if indeed he can't go Monday night. Mark, thank you so much, buddy. If for whatever reason people listening don't know where to find your work, tell them where, uh, where they can find you. Well, brother, always great to be on with you. I always love coming on. I uh, love you guys up in Buffalo. Hope to get up there soon. You can find me on Twitter at Mark Schofield, uh, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, a bunch of on places, a bunch of other places, but Twitter's the easiest at Mark Schofield. Awesome, buddy. Appreciate you. Enjoy the weekend uh, slate of college and, and NFL football. And uh, let's uh, let let's let's agree to remain as friendly as possible. I don't have to tell you this because uh, you and I always remain friendly. But uh, let's just remember it's a football game. We won't get too intense uh, on Monday night, regardless of the uh, regardless of the outcome. You got it, buddy. Absolutely. I'm just wondering if this is the first of dare we say three meetings between these teams. I I'm just wondering about that. I thought the same myself, and I guess time will tell. Uh, I I would welcome that if that meant uh, getting getting a chance to chat with you three uh, two more times this year, my friend. As would I, buddy. Would absolutely love it. Have a great day. Today. Enjoy the games. We'll talk soon, my friend. Sounds good, brother. Mark Schofield there, the Touchdown Wire USA Today. Going to take a timeout because I've got Brandon Marcello of uh, 24-7 Sports. We're talking some college football. That's coming up next year on WGR. All right, i got to be in and out on this segment. I've got Brandon Marcello. He is uh, going to be live from the SEC Championship game that will be going down tonight, Alabama and Georgia. So we'll talk to him about that game, about the college football playoff, and about Notre Dame's chances of making that playoff. We'll do that next here on WGR. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.